noise from you guys because I need you to you give me some energy. So can we make some noise, 1130? All right, you have had plenty of caffeine by now, right? Everybody had their coffee? You ready? You ready for today? Oh, I'm really excited. My name is Susie LaForge, and I'm the student ministry director, and I'm so excited to get to hang out with you guys today. Um, but before I get started, I want to clear up some confusion that's been happening inside of our church. So would you guys take a look at the screens really quick? There's going to be a picture that pops up. And um, so the woman to your right is Shayla McCormick. Um, the woman to your left is, is myself. It's Susie LaForge. And, and why I say this is because on the weekly, actually before our 4.30 service started yesterday, I had somebody walk up to me and say, ooh, Susie or Shayla? I'm like, well, you have a 50-50 shot, so just pick one and go for it. Um, but we have done everything. I've cut my hair. I've grown out my hair. I've dyed my hair. I even got a nose ring to try to distinguish us. And people still get us confused to this day. So I just wanted to clarify that for you. We are two different people. She's not that fast. She can't run from here to the kids' check-in. Um, but, but I just wanted to have a little fun with you guys this morning. Um, but to be completely honest, Pastor TJ and Shayla have been the greatest voices of encouragement to me. They have believed in me. Oh, you're gonna, oh we're, gonna, we're gonna make some noise for them in a minute because they might be watching and you know, like the parents are watching so the children have to be good, so I gotta be good up here. All the other services, I got to do whatever I wanted but they could be watching, hey parents. Um, but they have believed in me, they've encouraged me, they've inspired me, they've corrected me multiple times but the greatest thing that they have done for me is that they haven't let me quit. Uh, when I am not good at something, I tend to quit off the bat. I quit while I'm ahead because nobody likes being a quitter. Um, but TJ and Shayla have tried to quit a million times. I've sat in their office a million times and said, hey, guys, I think I'm done with this. I'm, uh, it's just too much. And they said, no, 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 no. here's actually more. And so I've, I've learned to not tell them that I want to quit because then they just give me more things to do. Um, but we have some of the greatest pastors in the entire world. And I don't know if you know that, I don't know if you believe that, but, but we do, and I can tell you that firsthand that the woman that I am today, I don't say this lightheartedly, but the woman that I am today, I would not be who I am without them. So can we make some noise for our pastors? I want them to hear us from New York City while they are on vacation, which I don't really know if you rest in New York City, is that a thing? I, they love it, so they're, they're having fun. They're enjoying it. But Did everybody have a good Christmas? Yeah. yeah? You got what you wanted? Oh. oh, wow. So maybe your Christmas wasn't so good. Well, my niece had a great Christmas because she got her first car. And, and as she was loving on her first car, it got me thinking about my first car. But what were some of your guys' first cars? What'd you, what did you, you can, Subaru. Dodge Neon. Dodge Neon? Oh, sorry. Um, what, what else? What do we got out there? What? Dodge Ram. Wow, that's nice. Anybody else? Her Celica. What? A Nova. I don't even know what that is. Cool. <laughs> All right. Um, that's fun. And yeah, feel free to talk to me. I am used to middle school and high schoolers that talk the entire time while I'm speaking. So you can talk back to me. It doesn't distract me. Actually, the quieter you are, the more awkward I get. So feel free to shout me down, say preacher white girl, whatever you want to go for. I'm game. I'm game. But I'll never forget my first car. Um, my family was always in the car business. My mom and my dad both worked for car dealerships. My brothers and sisters are older. And so they always had some sweet rides. They had Dodge Vipers. My mom drove Camaros. My sister had, I'll tell you about my sister's car in a minute. Um, but my brother-in-law had a, a Harley Davidson F-150. And so 
I just grew up loving and admiring cars. And I'll never forget my sister rolled up in her brand new 2000 new bodied Mitsubishi Eclipse. And let me just tell you, if you were in the late 90s, early 20s, that was the hottest car that you could ever have. And so here she comes rolling up in our driveway in this eclipse, and my, me being the younger sister, I'm scheming of how I could get that car. I said, how in the world? Like, maybe I, I, do I buy it up? No, she'll just give it to me, right? And so, I don't, do we have any other, are you the younger sibling? Anybody in here? Yeah, do you scheme against your siblings? Cool. Well, I did. And God loves me so much that my sister actually got pregnant the year that I was turning 16. So my sister needed a mom car and I needed a sports car. So God's timing worked out great. And so I said, hey, Kim, um, you think, you know that <clears throat> really pretty, the light blue, sunroof, rims, black interior, Mitsubishi Eclipse that's sitting outside? Can I have that? Like, you love me, right? And my sister says, yeah, sure, you can have it. And I thought, oh, my dreams are about to come true. I saw the vision of what my life was going to be. I knew that when I rolled up into school in the dopest whip that anybody had ever seen, that they were all going to want to be friends with me. I saw the popularity just rising. I knew that everybody was going to want to ride in my car, but I'm going to say, sorry, it's only a two-door. I can only have one friend get in this car. And I was so excited to have this car. And I'll never forget, in this next part, if you're not a car person, just ignore this because it you won't care. But I sat in my first car for the first time and it just felt right. It was like that car was made for me and I was made for the car and the smell of it was in my nostrils. Like I loved this car. But there was one problem. It was a manual. Mm -hmm. And so my mom is probably one of the coolest people I've ever met. I'll never be as cool as her, but she grew up on dirt bikes and motorcycles. She's got a Harley Davidson right now. She's driven stick forever. And my mom said, hey, don't worry about it. You'll get it. It's, it's easy, it's easy, it's not a big deal. And I said, you know what? Thanks, mom, you're a good encourager. I do believe in myself, I can do this. And so we get in this car for the first time and I'm so excited, I see my future. I put it in neutral and I let it roll out of the driveway because that's the only way that I was getting onto the street. I get into the street, I put it in first gear, I push in the clutch and my mom says, hey, as you start to give it some gas, you're gonna feel some tension. And as you, you go into the tension, just give it a little bit more gas. And so I push in the clutch, put it in first gear, I go, I start pressing the gas and I feel the tension. I said, mom, I feel it. And she goes, all right, well, you got to do something here. And I, I didn't know what to do. And so I was like, okay, car stalls out. <laughs> I said, you know what? It's fine. Nobody gets it on their first shot. Well, wait, did any of you get it on your first shot? Are you kidding me? Every service, there's at least been three people. And you know what? I, I'm jealous of you is all I got to say. All right. So second time, put it in, in first gear, go to stalls. Third time, fourth time, fifth time sixth time, seventh time, eighth time, ninth time of stalling this car, but I am finally at the stop sign that is 10 yards away from my driveway, and I have bucked the whole way there, and so we're sitting at, at this stop sign, and my mom goes, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. I have a great idea. We're just going to go out into traffic, 7 a.m., South Florida, military trail. It's a great idea. You're going to go out into traffic, and you're either going to figure out how to drive the car, or you're going to die trying. So one of two ways, it's going to be great. It was like this mother bird type moment of like kicking the baby bird out of the nest and saying, figure it out, or you're going to hit the floor. 
And so I said, you know what, Mom, that's a great idea. I feel like the nervousness will make me figure it out real fast. That's cool. So I pop it in first gear. I get the tension, and we're bucking in the street, and we're going. And I'm like, Mom, I think I have it. I think I have it. She goes, well, now you have to figure out how to get into second gear. I'm like, oh, I don't know what that looks like. I was like, so we stall out. People, cars come flying down. They're honking because we live in South Florida. And they are screaming Words that I am not allowed to say on this platform. So I'm, for today, they were like, get out of the road, loser. Move. Learn how to drive. And I was like, I'm just a kid. Be nice. <laughs> Screaming back at them. And I start freaking out. All the noises were just, it, it got too much. So I pop up the e-brake. I jump out of the vehicle. I, don't, I didn't even look for a car. You're not supposed to look both ways. Just jump. I run over the sidewalk and I yell at my mom. I say, mom, I don't want it anymore. I can't do it. I wasn't built to drive stick. I can't figure it out. I don't feel it. I feel all I feel is the bucking of the car, and then it stops. I cannot do it. I don't want it. I don't even, it's not even the right shade of blue. You start making excuses. I don't even like black interior. It's South Florida. It's too hot. Everything started to get wrong with the car. And for me, I don't know if life has gone perfect for you, but that has been what life feels like a lot of times. It is a whole lot of bucking back and forth, of life throwing you every which way, and you are making a whole lot of motion, but you're not getting anywhere very fast. And there's these shifts that happen in life, these seasons that happen in life, that if we don't figure out how to go about them well, we will either stall or we will be accelerated forward. And so there's these shifts that happen in life, and we're going to study the life of David today. And if I'm completely honest with you, um, I love David's story simply because if God can use somebody as messed up as David, it gives me a little bit of hope that God might just be able to use me. And so if you have never read his story, it's in First and Second Samuel, and I challenge you to go read it on your own. Figure out what happened in his life. Read from start to finish, the, the crazy ups and downs. But there was this one portion of David's life where there was this huge paradigm shift in how he, in how he operated throughout life. And so that's what we're going to focus in on today. But the definition of paradigm shift is an important change that happens when the usual way of thinking about or doing something is replaced by a new and different way. And so as we study this paradigm shift, there's three key things that David did in this shift that I believe will propel us to everything that God has planned for us. And so what I want you to do throughout this message is I want you to ask yourself, one, where do you see yourself in this message? And two, what shifts can you start making today to change the course of your life so that you can experience the immeasurably more that God has for you? And before we dive into his story in 1 Samuel 22, I want to give you a little bit of a background David, at a very young age, was told that he was going to be the next king. He makes best friends with the king's son. He kills a giant and wins favor of everybody watching. He even gets a job inside of the palace. It seems like everything was lining up to the vision that he had for himself. Everything that God had spoken over his life was coming to fruition, and he could see it. He was in the right position, at the right place, at the right time. But then chaos hits, and the current king tries to kill him multiple times, and so he runs for his life. He lies to a priest, and we find him here in a cave surrounded by sad people. And when I think about David and I think about what he could have been thinking, he had to have been questioning God. Did I hear God right? 
Did God really say that I was going to be the next king? Because if I was going to be the next king, why am I not still in the palace? Why am I in a cave with a bunch of sad people? Does God really have plans? Does he really have a purpose for my life? Or did I get it all wrong? Was I too young to understand what was really happening? You know, even in science, before a paradigm shift takes place, a crisis has to occur. Because everything that you are told doesn't add up to what it said that it would. And so this world, this culture tells us, hey, keep getting things. You just need more and more. And if you keep achieving things, then you'll get the fulfillment and the value that you are looking for. But you have gone about this life and you've gotten everything. You've gotten the sugar daddy, the trophy wife, the houses, the cars, everything, the kids, the job. You have everything you could have ever desired. And you still feel empty. You're not fulfilled. You don't find value from those places. And so something that you are doing is not working. There's a crisis taking place. And I've been here before. I remember thinking, does God really have a purpose and a plan for my life? Or did I just believe a cliche? Because whether you're a Christian or not, you've heard, oh, God has plans for you, sweetie. A purpose and a future. Non-Christians say that. But do we really believe that God has an immeasurably more calling on each and every one of our lives? And to top all of this off, a man runs up to David and says, hey, remember that lie that you told? Yeah, that cost an entire family their lives. And there is something so vital in how David responds to this that I believe is the first step that if we are going to optimize a paradigm shift, that this has to happen in order for us to start experiencing everything that God has for us. He says in verse 22, but before we start verse 22, hold on one second. There's a name in here, and um, I have had Google say it to me 45 times, and I still can't pronounce it right. So... I'm going to call him Abby, and so if it's not the same word, it's fine. But then David said to Abby, (laughs) that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. He says, I am responsible for the death of your whole father's family. And so the first thing that we have to do if we're going to experience this paradigm shift is that we have to take responsibility. And so we're going to practice that this morning. Would you repeat after me? Say, I am responsible. Now with a little bit more ownership, say, I am responsible. I am responsible. That did not taste good, did it? It's a dirty word. Nobody likes to take responsibility of anything because this culture tells us to blame everybody else. But the truth is, is that in life we have two options. We can either make excuses or we can take responsibility for our lives. And David, out of all people in this moment, could have made some really good excuses that the rest of the world would have said are valid. He could have said, hey, I'm running for my life. Those weren't my intentions. I didn't mean for any of that to happen. It's not even my fault. It's it's Saul's fault for chasing me. It's Doeg's fault. It should be his fault for having a name like that. It It is everybody else's fault but mine. And a lot of people would have said, David, you're right. But that's not what David did. Why? Because when we take responsibility, it grants us the permission to make things right. And so David took the responsibility of the thing that he had caused, and he actually makes it right. In verse 23, he says, stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine also. You will be safe with me. And so let me flip the script on you for a little bit. 
We are responsible. We're responsible for our finances, so we are going to seek out financial counseling. We're going to set up a budget, and we're going to stick to it. I'm responsible for my marriage, so I am going to do everything that I can possibly do to fight for that marriage because that is my responsibility. I will seek counsel. I will overpray. I will overcommunicate. I will do everything in my power, even if my partner is not, because that is my responsibility to them. I am responsible for my business, so I'm going to research and develop time to build up my personnel to be the staff that I need them to be. I'm responsible for my children and the way that they act, so I am going to research how to be the best parent possible. And guess what? If my ways are not working, I'm going to tap into the community that's here. I'm going to ask some other parents what they're doing, what's working, what's not working, because I know that that is my most important job. I'm responsible for my friendships. And so I'm going to stop complaining about not having any. And I'm going to try to be the best friend that I could possibly be to everybody around me. And maybe, just maybe, I'll dive into a connect group. Because the friend that I've been complaining about not having might be at that house. But so often, we don't want to commit to anything. We can't commit to another thing this week. We want friends, we want relationships, we want a relationship with God, but, but we're not going to commit to anything extra because our lives are already too busy. But then we just complain and give excuses instead of taking responsibility and doing some actions to change the course of our life. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to take responsibility. The second thing is, is found in this next verse. It says, when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah. I'm going to mess up all these words just so you know. And are looting the threshing floors. He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The second thing that we have to do is we have to seek God. We'll bring in consultants for everything. Business consultants, life coaches, financial consultants. We will consult everybody. And we totally leave God out of our decisions. Do you know that God is a heavenly father that wants a daily relationship with all of his children? And so what he wants you to do is wake up and say, hey, God, I have some incredible decisions that I have to make today. What is your insight? What do you think about this? Can you help guide me in the right direction? What's the best choice? Because does anybody agree you think he might know the best way to go about it? Yeah, Yeah? maybe. Maybe. And so if we invite him into our situations, invite him into the details of our life, we're going to start to see our life shift. And David created a habit of seeking God. But how many of you guys know that David was human just like us? And so he struggled with it. And you want to know one of the decisions that he didn't ask God about? Bathsheba, who was a she taking a bath on a roof and he said hey I want that and he's like I think that's a great idea even though I know that she's married to one of my most valiant fighters but I think my my desire for that means more to me than asking God what he thinks and so I think this is a good decision I'm gonna go ahead and do this never ask God about it and it has a ripple effect And a lot of crazy stuff happens. And so I don't know about you, but has anybody ever made a really bad decision because they didn't invite God into it? We make bad decisions when we don't seek God first. And so we have to create a habit of doing that. And maybe you're in here today and I don't know how to seek God. Listen, I didn't either. You know how I started? We pass out these daily devotionals. There's these little booklets that are at the front or at the door. If you ask any of the people wearing a blue t-shirt, they'll grab you one. 
and it has these little bite size. It might take three and a half minutes of your day to just read this paragraph. But what happens is, is that it creates a habit of seeking God in your day. Because I'm not going to be real with you. Listen, I've been reading this Bible for years and I still can't pronounce half the names in it. And so when I first looked at this Bible and looked at this book, I hate reading. Let's just be real. And so when I looked at this and saw all these pages, this intimidated me so bad. I thought I'll never be able to understand the words that are in that book. I, it doesn't, it's not going to make any sense to me. And I accidentally opened up to the wrong chapter and it talked about a whole lot of stuff. I had no idea what was happening. And so what that daily devotional did is it, it just gave me a little bite-sized nugget that I could understand, that I could apply to my life. And I thought, oh, man, the words that are in there are actually alive. That's what that means is that it's applicable to today. Yeah. And I started to fall in love with this book. As you can tell, it's a hot mess. And now I can't even read any other book because I love the words that are in here. No other book does anything for me than what the words of this book do. They encourage me, they inspire me, they correct me. And it's what we need. Or maybe you just need somebody to come alongside you, but what happens is, is we sit in service and the whole time we're checking our watch, making sure that TJ ends on time because we have lunch plans. And so there's a message that's spoken and, and things start to happen in this room and God starts speaking to you and you know you just need to go talk to somebody but because we have such a fast agenda, we walk right past the hub where there's ministry leaders that are waiting to pray with you and, and we just walk right past them because our agenda is more important than taking a minute to invite somebody into our situation. We have Wednesday morning prayer every single Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m., I'm not a morning person, and it is very tough for me to be there. So if you find me there, I'm not this happy. But it's an incredible time where we get to seek God together. Or another resource is coming up in January where we, do, where we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And if you've never been a part of that, I'm challenging all of you this morning to be a part of that. Because there are certain answers to things that can only come through prayer and fasting. And so what happens every year is I just find something that I love, which every single year it's cookies I love cookies cookies are my favorite thing in the entire world and so I just give those up I give up sugar and every time I see a cookie every time I want sugar every time I'm, I'm going for something or it without fail somebody brings hot chocolate chip homemade cookies into the office and I have to smell them <laughs> I'm reminded that my relationship with God means more to me than that food and in that moment, I start praying and I say, God, I pray that you would just use this time to bring me closer to you. I, I'm praying for healing. I'm praying for finances. I'm praying for my marriage to be healthy. I'm praying for all these different things. And that thing that I've given up reminds me that my relationship with God is more important. And so I'm going to challenge you to find something in your everyday life that you could give up. I challenge our students every single year to give up social media. Um, it's impossible. It's like their lifeline. They do not give it up. But something that would trigger your mind to start praying for the things that you need prayer for. I love what Shayla said last week. She said, so often we have a desire for a relationship with God. And we have all the resources. I just named them. But we're unwilling to put in the work to do anything for it. And so we sit back and kind of complain about it. Well, God ran from me. God didn't run from you. God is in the same spot he's always been with open arms, waiting for you to just come back to him. But there are some things that we have to do in order to build that relationship with God. 
The third thing is found in verse 3. It says, The Lord answered him. He said, Go attack the Philistines and save Kalab. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Kalah against the Philistine forces? Once again, I want you to highlight, underline, star it, circle it. I don't, I don't care what you do to it. But once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Kalah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Kalah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Kalah. The third thing that we have to do is we have to be obedient. That is a very easy thing to say. It is a very hard thing to do. But the life that we've always wanted is on the other side of our obedience. Depending on how we obey will determine if we get the life that we've always wanted. And at a certain point in our life, we have to stop questioning. Stop allowing the scared people that are around you to question the things that God said to you. And we have to start obeying. And if you think about it this way, Satan's schemes are not creative. He has been doing the same thing since the beginning of time when he was a serpent talking to Eve. He said, but did God actually say that? Why? Because he knows that if he can get you to question everything that God has spoken over your life, that you will never experience the immeasurably more life that he has for you. And so at a certain point, you have to stop questioning. Stop allowing people's voices to be louder than the voice of God. You have to be obedient with what he's given you here and now. Because the truth is, is that we, if we are not obedient with what we have right now, we will not be obedient with what we think we deserve in the future. And the truth is, is that I know God is asking something of every person in this room. Because you don't just do one act of obedience. You don't just pray the salvation prayer and then your life of obedience is over. No, God asks you for the rest of your life to do some things. And depending on if you do them, he knows if he can trust you with more. Until, so until we start being obedient with what he has put in front of us, he's never going to give us more because he can't trust us to do those things. And there's a purpose and a plan and a calling on every single one of your lives, but you'll never get to obtain it unless you start taking responsibility, start seeking God, and start being obedient with the things that he said. And listen, I grew up in South Florida, so we're gonna do something that's, that's weird for you guys, for all of us. I know life is busy. I know your schedules are busy. I know that the moment that you walk out of the door, you hear the traffic. And the traffic alone, the sound of it, is so distracting and so loud. But I want to do something here, and I want everybody to close their eyes for a minute. And we're going to take a moment to seek God. I want you to silence the distractions. Put your iPhone on Do Not Disturb. Tell your kids to be quiet for a minute. And I want you to just sit in this moment and just ask God. What do I do next? What is my next step? And a lot of times our excuse is that we're waiting to hear God's audible voice, but that's not how he always works. 
There's this confidence, this anchor, this, this knowing that God is asking something of you. But a lot of times we let our excuses be louder than the thing he's asking us to do. And so maybe you're in here today and, and the first step of obedience for you is that you need to enter into a relationship with Jesus because if you don't know the creator, you can't know what he created you for. And so if you're in this place and you know that your next step is that you need a relationship with Jesus, would you raise your hand for me so that I can lead you in a prayer? I see you. I see you. I see you. It's the best decision of your life. And I want to pray for another group in here, so, because I know that there's Christians in this place. We've already prayed the salvation prayer. We've done that first step of obedience, but, but God is asking something of you right now. And you've been scared, and you've made excuses, and, and you've let life get too busy. But right in this moment, you know that thing that God is asking of you. And you need prayer to just have the strength and the courage to be able to accomplish the things that he's asking of you and if that's you right now would you just raise your hand so that I can pray over you I see you I know it's terrifying I know being obedient is scary but it's going to get you to that life that God has for you if you raised your hand and you need a relationship with Jesus, would you just pray this prayer? It's called the salvation prayer, and it, it doesn't even matter about my words. It's just you choosing to do life with God and say, God, I surrender. I surrender my plans, my dreams, my efforts, my strengths. I, I surrender everything that is mine, God, and today I choose to follow after you. I thank you so much that you sent your son to pay the price for me that I could not pay alone. And so today I am choosing you as my Lord and as my Savior. I will not walk out of this building the same, but I will walk out of here a new creation. And Heavenly Father, I pray over the rest of us. God, I pray a spirit of, of strength, a spirit of, of courage, a spirit of determination, a spirit of, of just a decision that has been made in this place. God, I pray that nobody would walk out of here the same, that as they exit the doors and I know life is gonna hit, that they would remember the thing that you spoke to them today, that they would remember their next step of obedience. God, I pray whether that's community or a relationship with you, God, whatever it is that is their next step, I pray that they would be able to accomplish that because God, I wanna see this church filled with a bunch of people that are so fulfilled from a relationship with you that they are out there being the hands and feet of you and living the immeasurably more life that you have always planned and always purposed for them. And so God, today I pray that that would change for them. I pray that they would take their next step and that they would start to change the course of their life to experience everything that you have for them. And it is in your powerful name that we said amen and we 